Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West here, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Lara Logan's candid reporting, often from the most dangerous places in the world, has earned her a prominent place among the world's best foreign correspondents. In her role at 60 Minutes, Logan helped us understand the political and human conflicts around the world, including Pakistan, Iraq, Afghanistan, Israel, and Palestine, Palestine, and Egypt. Committed to the story, she lived in Iraq for five years at the height of the violence. She was one of the few journalists in Baghdad when the U.S. military entered the city, reporting live in the square as the statue of Saddam fell. Logan has earned almost every journalistic and reporting award. Among them are the highly prestigious DuPont Columbia University Silver Baton, the Overseas Press Club, Emmys, and the RTNDA Edward R. Murrow Award, to name a few. Her fearless determination to get the story from his vortex, no matter how dangerous, has often put Lyra Logan herself in great danger. In Tahrir Square in Egypt, she came close to death when she was sexually assaulted by a mob while reporting for 60 Minutes on the Arab Spring. Today, she has successfully put together a long-form investigative TV series that takes on significant topics with an open mind and an open heart the way journalism is supposed to be done. It's called Lara Logan Has No Agenda, and it's broadcast on Fox Nation. The series has taken her deep into subjects like immigration, the Southwest border, socialism, media, and veterans. It is a pleasure and an honor to have Lara Logan, my dear friend, fellow Texan, here on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. Lara, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Alan, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, I just had an exciting four days down on the border in Kenny County, Brackettville. You know that very well. You know, you and I have been in these combat zones, in these situations. What I see happening now on our border, this is not just about dealing with some business organization called a cartel. We're facing an insurgency along our border, and I'd like to get your thoughts and perspectives, and that's what I want to talk about with you today. What do you see happening on our border? How do we get to this point where we're not protecting our national sovereignty? Um, Alan, I want to check uh, quickly. Can you hear that that growing kind of white noise in the background? No. Is that is that on your end? It's really, really loud on this end. I just want to chat. Does that affect you? No, no, no we're, we're good. You sound great. Okay. All right. No problem then. Okay. So. You know, Alan, the border is something that uh, I'm now having trouble sleeping at night. And that's not something that happens to me very often because I'm usually pretty exhausted by the time I fall into bed and I pass out for a couple of hours. But we're in um, such a bad situation now. 
and no one is doing anything about it or nothing substantive. It's just really not changing day after day that uh, I've gone through various phases, right? I think I was in shock for a long time because when you figure out how bad it is and the scale of it, it really does put you into a kind of shock. I mean, we're now talking about, we could see, we knew at the end of the Trump administration, it was very obvious Biden was going to drastically change the border policies. We saw them renovating and rebuilding new facilities, mass migration facilities, um, and so on. And in the early days, I watched the administration pick up the language of the United Nations. And a lot of people don't understand this. They don't think it fits in, but this is where they're really missing the point. When the UN adopted migration as a human right in the global compact on migration, they got all of these countries to come together and say, okay, migration is not a crime. It is a human right. And therefore we have to help people exercise their human rights and we can't criminalize that. So very interesting, one of the first things Biden does when he comes in is remove the word illegal from the language of law enforcement and anybody dealing with the border, the media and so on and so on, right? Well, the media follows suit because, of course, the little lapdogs, right? They do what they're told. So uh, he says to all of his agents in law enforcement, you can no longer use the word illegal. He says to all the political uh, people in his administration, no longer you can can you use the word illegal the media follows suit the think tanks follow suit and now suddenly we have decriminalized the crime without the legislature right we've bypassed congress and we have essentially bypassed the will of the american people because nobody asked them now you and i both know that when you go even in the border towns which are predominantly hispanic today um you you will be hard pressed to find people who say they want an open border. In fact, I've never found one who believes in an open border. What they'll tell you is we're fleeing the danger and insecurity in our countries. We want this country to keep us safe and we want a secure border. And if you say to them, but you just came illegally, you crossed, you broke the law. They're like, well, I know, I know. And I'm sorry, I couldn't come any other way. So, but, but what's happened now is we uh, are seeing how those people are being used as a cover for a much more significant strategic political operation that is a global operation. How do I say that? Well, number one, we're not just implementing the language of the United Nations and the UN policy on global uh, migration. We are actually implementing the policy. So Mayorkas issued two directives not long after coming into office, Secretary Mayorkas. And in one, he said um, uh, that you couldn't prosecute anyone except under these conditions. And in another, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how they broke down, but the two biggest policy announcements that he made not long after coming into office basically said that the rights, one accorded rights to illegal immigrants, the rights of U.S. citizens, So now illegal immigrants could sue for things like hate speech or discrimination under the Constitution and so on. So you're not illegal, you're not a citizen, but yet you have the rights, the legal rights of a citizen in many ways. So he bypassed, again, the Constitution, the legislature, the will of the people. 
And he did that with his administration's backing, of course. And then on the other side, he tied the hands of law enforcement. And he said, no, 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 you can't enforce immigration law unless you have someone convicted of the worst types of violent crime. And it's not accused, it's convicted. So uh, what is he saying there? Well, he's saying the sovereignty of the United States is effectively nullified because we are giving, we are recognizing the rights of people who don't have sovereignty and we are not upholding the sovereignty of those who do. And not only are we doing that, we, if you listen to what Biden and Jen Psaki and then, I'm sorry, that complete and utter moron that is in the White House uh, press office today speaking out every day. I don't, there, I really, there's not even a word for that person. She's sort of, you know, half doll, half robot, half imbecile. I know that would be thirds. It's just, I'm at a loss for words for what we're looking at. They don't even bother to put someone out there that can sound decent anymore. That's, you know, either how desperate or how disrespectful they are at this point. But what, what these morons do is they use the language of the United Nations. So they themselves have removed the word and term illegal. We now only have migrants. We don't have illegal immigrants. And they use words like safe orderly legal migration versus disorderly, right? We have waves of regular and irregular migration. So the, this is the, the language of a global policy. It's not our policy. It's not recognized under US law. It's recognized by the United Nations, a global body of unelected bureaucrats, who, by the way, I know you remember this, Alan, the United Nations actually had people stationed down on the U.S. border at the beginning of the Biden administration mm -hmm. policing U.S. Border Patrol agents. Yes. And then add the fact that you can find any journalist you talk to, Michael Yan, Ben Burquist. You know, there's a whole bunch of them who are out there every single day working on this. Michael Yan's been in the Panama Canal. He's been mm -hmm. all over the place really doing the most extraordinary work on the ground, a first-hand eyewitness. And what does he find? Well, he and others have found laminated guides that the United Nations and other global bodies are providing step-by-step -step guides for, for people in multiple languages, explaining precisely how to reach the United States. So the goal is not to get to a safer country, the goal is not just to get a better life. The goal is I have to do all of that within the borders of the U.S. That's the goal. I have to get you, I as the, let's see, the IOM, International Office of Migration, another global body, right? My job is to get you from wherever you want to go, whether it's China or it's Timbuktu in Mali or it's Brazil or it's Guatemala I mean, or Europe or Africa, it doesn't matter because we now have more than 160 countries, mm -hmm. not at the door of the United States, but within the borders of the United States because they've all been let in. Well, now we've got to give you money along the way to make sure that you can do your journey. As Michael Yan has demonstrated, we'll give you rape kits so that we can make the rape we know you're experiencing, but we won't acknowledge more bearable. So let's see. If you can persuade your rapist to use a condom, here you go. Um, if you don't, I think there's, I believe, according to Michael's reporting, I haven't seen the kit myself, but he said there's an after 
uh, morning after pill yes, in there. Yes, there's a pill in medications there. you can take. Right. And so, oh, wait, in the age of Me Too and, oh, the first black female justice on the Supreme Court. Yes. While how many black and brown, indigenous, you know, various African women and girls, white girls, I mean, whoever it is, Chinese girls are being raped and we're absolutely silent about it. Not only are we silent, but by giving in these kids, we're saying, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay that this happened to you. Here, here's a Band-Aid. You'll be fine. Just keep going. You're not in the United States quite yet. And then food along the way. Not to mention what the Biden administration has done, which, is, um, which speaks to the dishonesty of the policy, is... As you know, Alan, right, the figures that we get from Border Patrol, those cover the illegal movement between the official ports of entry. Mm -hmm. Very important for people to understand this distinction. Those figures do not give you the whole picture on migration, illegal or legal. They only tell you who is making a run for it between or, or you know, coming across between the official ports of entry. Separate from that in the Office of Field Operations are your ports of entry figures. Well, why is this so important? Well, because the Biden administration did something unique. They decided that they would go over across into Mexico. They would create an app called CBP-1. Anybody mm -hmm. can look it up. You can download it. You can see how easy it is. And so you can download this app from anywhere in the world, whether it's Afghanistan or London, Pakistan, Venezuela, it doesn't matter. And you can try to fill that out and get your paperwork done ahead of time. Or you can hire any number of one of these organizations that is advertising. They advertise in China, across Latin America. I've seen many commercials now that are telling you now is the time to go. Biden will let you in. You've got no worries. Just get across that border and you're good to go. Um, and here's what you do and here's how you do it. So they've got the app. They've got the adverts. They've got the criminal organizations that are now more like travel agencies that are moving you. And uh, they're, they're greeting you. There's members of the United States government, either directly or indirectly, are greeting you in Mexico because some of them they've hired, you know, independent contractors. Some of them they've, they, they get NGOs to assist. But they essentially process you inside of Mexico. Well, why would you do that? Huh, let me see. Once you're processed inside of Mexico, what you do then is you don't go, you don't make a run for it or walk over the river, the trickle of the river in El Paso you know, or drown in the Rio Grande. No, you just go straight across the bridge. You mm -hmm. go to the official port of entry. So when you see the Biden administration saying, oh, the figures are down, the figures are down. Well, yes, of course, dear, because what you've done is funneled, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people that would have been illegal in, in, in Border Patrol's figures, and you've now put them through the official ports of entry, and you're, you're being very disingenuous with the American people because you're not saying... Well, look at the total picture. Then on top of that, and I, uh, I'll hand it over to you with this, Alan, so you can follow up. But on top of that, what people fail to realize and what, what our leaders don't like to acknowledge is that the United States has not had operational control of its border for mm -hmm. years. As much as things improved under Trump, the reality is the U.S. still did not control that border even under Trump. We have ceded control to the cartels in Mexico who have transformed over the years, as you know very well, 
Um, they are no longer just drug cartels. They are multinational, transnational criminal organizations who uh, span the entire globe. Yeah. They And not only that, but their tentacles reach into every town and every city because they control the street brands, gangs. How do they do that? Well, narcotics is the number one currency for any street gang anywhere in the world. And where do all the narcotics, narcotics come from? The vast majority, 90, 95%, according to the DEA, well, they come from the Mexican cartels. So when they got rid of the Colombian cartels, what happened? Well, they just keep, they, you know, they lost a lot of their power, so they just keep producing for the Mexicans. Well, when China wants you to have a fentanyl problem, what do they do? They introduce the problem slowly through the mail, this tiny little mail order drug, but then they hand it over to the Mexican cartels who proliferate it, right? And mm -hmm. uh, they, they train them, they send their Chinese pharmacists, their chemists, they send these people to train them. So you have people who don't want you to see that the, the, the cartels work hand in hand with the Chinese Communist Party and many other um, sinister entities who do not have the best interests of the United States at heart. They have a completely open border that has been totally decriminalized. We have a narco state in Mexico whose government is completely controlled by the cartels. And if people say, well, you know, I don't think that's true, or why don't they just take over then? They don't want the problem. They don't want the responsibility. They are much better off directing it behind the scenes because if everyone knows that Mexico is a narco state, then oh, American population is gonna say, wow, we better do something about that narco state in Mexico, that's bad for us. So they, they use deception and they use cover. So we have now created with this open border, we are living under a globalist policy. You can see that represented in the WHO and the fact that we've submitted to a globalist control over the whatever net, big health emergency or uh, another pandemic if it comes along. And we are, we are step by step ceding our sovereignty and our government and our rights and our liberty to globalist organizations that are unelected, that are 100% dishonest, and most importantly, they are assisted and enabled by the people within this country who share their vision for a world where America is no longer a superpower, and the whole concept of nationalism and patriotism and sovereignty itself has to be demonized into extinction because uh, that's why they say that parents and patriots and so on are, uh, you know, are extremists. That's why they lie about that and try to maintain that false narrative because this is part of a bigger strategy and a bigger picture where open borders means the end of sovereignty and the end of nations. And last thing, Alan, what they are doing right now, there's been, I mean, over 10,000 people coming a day, just that we know about, mm -hmm. between the ports of entry. When you look at those figures of the Biden administration over time, without your gotaways that are often not seen and the unrecordeds and so on, you're talking about 14 million or so at this point, right? Just in the first two years of the Biden administration. And what this is doing is it's deliberately, strategically, and step-by-step step diluting the pool of the number of people in this country who understand what this country means and why it was founded. From the outside, let me tell you what's missing. The vision of America 
is yes, the American dream. I can go to America and I can work hard and I can become something. You know, I can go to America and get a fair shot. I can go to America and go to Hollywood. But what is missing from that narrative is that this country was founded on a covenant with God. Mm-hmm. And God is left out of that narrative. People coming here don't understand that nobody did it on their own. This was not built on the back of slavery. This was built on, a, on a, an absolutely sacred compact that was made with God. And from within, we have systematically tried to dismantle that covenant with God. We've removed it from our schools. We've removed it from our films. We've removed it from our history books. We've removed it from our popular language. We've removed it from, from the music industry and from art and so on and so on. And we have filled that void with something very, very real. Take a look at Katy Perry or Miley Cyrus or Lady Gaga or, uh, you know, Little Sam, I think his name is. Um, take a look at all these people and what do you see? You see satanic symbols. You don't see Christian symbols. You don't see crosses. You see devil's horns. What do you see more and more and more is Baphomet, right? Who is Baphomet? Half man, half woman. Yeah. You constantly see more and more and more prolific symbols of the devil. There's a the satanic uh, church in Boston is currently, mm-hmm. or this week has been holding a big rally, tearing up the Bible on camera and tearing up the thin blue line flags. And the, the satanic church is suing the Supreme Court for the right to hold satanic abortions, mm-hmm. which they say has been impinged by the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So, you know, for those people who say, oh my goodness, she's going there. I can't believe she's going there. Or she had me on that rational border argument right up until she took it into that realm. Um, Unfortunately, Alan, we're past the point where we have time to care about those people. Uh, You know, the symbols of Satanism are all around us. My... uh, child is showing me a pair of shoes that are the big thing to buy that have human blood in the heel. I just had someone come up to me at a border event this weekend in the Capitol in Austin saying, please come to McKinney, you know, outside of Dallas-Fort Worth. We have a real Satanism problem. And I looked it up and you got people running for office in that area on an openly satanic platform, self-identifying as Satanists. (laughs) Okay. I would say to you, I'm not the crazy one. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, I live up here and I remember the billboard signs that the Satanic Temple of North Texas had up, uh, you know, talking about, you know, their their right to be able to murder unborn babies as part of their ritual. We just had a uh, Satanic Club that got approved, uh, I think, it, up in the state of Virginia. So all of these things are part of the erosion of the moral foundations of our country on top of the secular foundations, which is protecting a border. Now, what you just articulated to me, first and foremost, there's always been a manipulation of language from the left, and that's what they've done. You can't say illegal immigrant. You can't say illegal alien. They're just migrating. They're just passing through. So there's no recognition of borders. Uh, But the other thing is that 
what you have described to the people that are watching us today is really treasonous in nature. If you are the president of the United States of America, if you are part of a presidential administration, if you are members of the House and the Senate, you take an oath to support and defend the Constitution. There is a rule of law. If you're the president, you're supposed to uphold those laws, and that's written there. So we're talking about treason in its basic and most simplest uh, art form. But let's talk about why is it, because we live in these United States of America, we still have governors that aren't doing what is necessary to protect the sovereignty of a state like Texas that has a 1,250-mile border, and the Constitution does allow that. The Constitution of the state of Texas even says that the governor of the state of Texas is supposed to repel invasions as, you know, his role as commander of the Texas military forces, military department. So why is it, Laura, that no one, federal level, state level, are saying, no, this is the border of the United States of America, this is the border of Texas, you're not coming across here. I mean, that's the most frustrating thing that I saw with people down in Kenny County, and I'm sure you've seen that as well. Well, there's two parts to that, right? One is the federal part, and one is the state part. Yes. Because as uh, you'll remember, Alan, back in 2014 and 15, under the Obama administration, when there was a massive unaccompanied minor crisis, mm -hmm. and the border was very bad, the state of Texas stood up, the state legislatures approved millions and millions of dollars. The governor stepped up and Texas shut down the border. Yep, Governor And Perry. they did it on their own, yep. legally, within the Constitution, within the rights of states. Well, we're in a much worse crisis than that. In fact, for many years down on the border, even under the Trump administration, um, when people were saying it was bad, uh, you know, border agents and so on would always say, well... It's pretty bad, but I did see it this bad once before. You know, now, the, I mean, the strength has drained from the body of those dealing with this issue. Because people are, I mean, agents are in shock. Suicide rates are up. Recruiting rates are down. Because we have literally never in the history of this country, not since 1776, have we ever been in a situation where the borders of this country were not respected or recognized by those in power. So what I see Abbott doing is taking a very different course of action to before. And when I try to understand, well, why would you do that, Governor Abbott? Um, the only things that I can uh, speak to, I can't speak to what's in his head because I haven't talked to him. I don't know him. I'm not a prophet and I'm not going to guess, right? So what do I see the factors that have changed? Well, what you see happening all around our society is that they're deferring to the federal government in the state of Texas. For some reason, they know they can act independently. They know that they can stop this. They know there are certain actions they can take. How do we know they know that? Well, they did it before. Mm -hmm. So that's not a guess. So they're choosing not to take those actions now. Now, they'll take an action here and there. They say the right thing occasionally. We're going to declare the cartels terrorist organizations. We're declaring an emergency. Well, we're sending more people with launching Operation This and Operation That. But as we see, the effect 
is exactly the same. It does not alter the effect on the border. Um, in fact, it has the opposite. It allows the border to get worse and worse and worse every single day. This country is under a massive invasion. We have tens of thousands of Chinese, most of them military-aged males, yes. pouring across, not just in the areas where they normally come across, but in areas where they've never, ever been seen before, like McAllen Station down in the Rio Grande Valley. They're used to seeing you know, a number of Chinese a day. Well, those numbers have doubled. Okay, well, that alone would be interesting, except that just down the road at Rio Grande City, where they've never seen Chinese coming across, they've had now six, seven, eight weeks of uh, at least 50 to 70 Chinese nationals a day, sometimes more than that, over 100 every day. So you have a massive surge of Chinese nationals, most of them military-aged males, and Abbott is silent. You know, the lieutenant governor is silent. Dan Patrick is silent. Ken Paxton is silent. Um, nobody is sounding the alarm and saying, well, obviously, you know, in military terms, that looks like a surge. Yes. Right, Alan? Yes. Yes. So you have a consistent number. You've, you've escalated dramatically. So you've gone from zero Chinese in Rio Grande City. Now you've gone to 50 to 70 a day, sometimes more than that. And you've sustained that for the past six, seven weeks without stopping. Six, seven times a day. So, uh, and that's not just in that tiny little area. So why are the Chinese surging forces into the United States, especially when you consider that nothing and no one leaves the Chinese, the borders of China, the Chinese mainland, without the Chinese Communist Party knowing about it? And if you don't believe that, don't take my word for it. Ask yourself why the Chinese have police stations all across America. Yeah. Because they've got people in place on U.S. soil policing their own citizens to make sure not just that nobody gets out that isn't allowed, but to ensure that if you do come out here, they can keep tabs on you and make sure that you stay loyal to the Chinese Communist Party. And you keep spying on them. So the, the, if there's anyone who has any illusions that, oh, this poor little Chinese family just coming for a better life, they may be desperately hoping for a better life. And they may be good people. But they are in the clutches of some of the most evil people on the face of the earth. There's people who put uh, Christians in re-education camps and Uyghurs who are uh, local minorities there and take the men you know, and put a, a woman into a cell with uh, all of these men and have them gang rape her into submission. This is the kind of thing they're doing in these camps, let alone what they do to their own people, separating families, you know, during COVID, taking away people's pets and slaughtering them. And, and you, could, you could literally go on and on and on. So we know these are among the most evil people on earth. And unfortunately, we know that they're in bed with people within the United States government. So when it comes to Governor Abbott and the leadership of Texas, when it comes to Congress, when it comes to the Biden administration, what I don't know, Alan, is how many of them are sleeping with the enemy. Because what I see on the one hand is they have access to much more information than I do. They know a lot more than you and I. And yet they don't do anything effective about it. They make a lot of noise. They pretend, sometimes they say the right things, but the effect 
remains the same. It's kind of like I got tired of talking to American generals in Afghanistan and saying to them, Pakistan's killing your soldiers, American yeah. soldiers, because they're helping America's enemies. And every year, what did they say? Oh, it's a terrible problem, but it's getting much better. We're working with the Pakistanis. They're doing this. They're doing that. Well, for crying in a bucket, Alan, I got to like 15 years in a row of hearing that. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. There I am on 60 Minutes. And I said, the fact is, American soldiers continue to die because of our enemies' support, Pakistan's support for America's enemies. And, you know, General Allen at the time said, you just stated the truth. And this is where we are today. Women and children are trafficked in unprecedented numbers because of America's abject failure to do anything about it. We don't close the borders. We don't do anything about the cartels. We fund money into the organizations that are trafficking them. We prevent any oversight from Congress. We prevent the media from getting any real picture. We lie to the people. We lie to the journalists. I mean, every single action that everyone from Governor Abbott to the White House is taking is making this problem worse every single day. So then I have to step aside and I have to say, okay, so I'm a logical person. If you do nothing to alter the outcome of a situation over which you have control, mm -hmm. then what you're doing is saying, I have the outcome I want. Well, you're aiding and you're abetting the issue and the problem. Because you have the outcome that you actually want. If you wanted to change the outcome, you would. You're aiding and abetting, but you're doing even more than that. You're not just saying, well, you know, I just... I don't like those cartel guys, but there's nothing I can do about it. No, if you if you say, I'm leaving the border open because I want to help these people, I want a more humane policy. How is it more humane to have more children dying on the journey into America today than under any administration ever in the history of this country? Yeah. How is it humane to have more children being sold into uh, trafficking where they are raped over and over and over again for money until they are very often killed on film. Some of them don't even make it. How, how is that possible? How is that more humane? How are you improving the lives of those people? You know, I am an immigrant myself and I have the softest of soft hearts. My mother used to say, I kept my bladder behind my eyeballs because I couldn't see pain or suffering and not break down. And that is what motivates, has motivated my entire life and my career, Alan. I don't like to see people suffer. So for me, doesn't matter who's in power in any administration, when I'm there and I'm seeing how these people suffer, I have friends from Afghanistan who have suffered extraordinarily. Some, many of whom have, have had family members tortured, murdered, raped, I mean, lives destroyed, right? I have seen the impact when you know, when people really need to come here to be given refuge, who yeah. deserve it. And I am the last person on earth to say that nobody should get a second chance. I will give you the shirt off my back to help make that happen. But what I know is the vast majority of these people are not getting a better life. They're not getting a second chance. They're coming in here under the full control of the cartels who are not just evil in themselves. 
They've been given a free pass to operate by the Biden administration, which then, in addition, gives our tax dollars to them to facilitate their operations. And that is a completely different scenario. Don't talk to me about failure of leadership because it makes me want to throw up when I hear that. Don't, it's just the same as January 6th. Failure of leadership, failure of training. No, I'm sorry. There have been evacuation procedures in place at the United States Capitol for 50 years at least, a lot longer than that. There are forces that are in place. There's a 24-hour command center that does nothing but monitor that. They know how to evacuate you if there's a real threat. You know what they don't do? They don't put furniture up against the doors on camera and say, oh, you know, I'm so scared. No, that is what's called BS. <laughs> okay? And you know it because yeah. you're a military man and you know about those plans. There is a plan for everything. And so when you see that kind of stuff going on and you see former members of the military even participating in I'm in, I'm like, okay. Someone, you know, someone call, Someone needs to stand up and call this out for what it is. It's nonsense. And that's what's happening on the border, is that it's not just a failure of leadership. It's not, uh, a, you know, a lack of resources. You literally are taking taxpayer money. You're giving people telephones. You're putting people in hotels. <coughs> you are flying people across the country. You are busing people across the country. And yet, at the very same time, you say there's no money for your eyes in the sky, the aerostats balloons that, that give the Border Patrol agents the ability to see vast swaths yeah. of the border so that they can do their jobs. No, you're taking down their eyes in the sky, making it easier for the cartels and every illegal entity that's crossing uh, in any direction. And you're sending the Border Patrol agents back to 1924 where they got to look for a footprint in the sand and they got no nothing else. Yeah, so that and ground sensors. And then you're pretending that somehow this is better, this is more humane. No, that's a lot. You know, I've got a couple of minutes left with you, and this has been just insightful. You and I have been in combat zones. We both know what an insurgency looks like. I believe that we're fighting an insurgency on our border, but we, for whatever reason, won't admit that. We won't commit to that. What is your opinion on what I just said? I agree. I agree with you completely. Um, an insurgent's force undermines from within, right? So it infiltrates your systems or infiltrate your law enforcement agencies, infiltrate your government, infiltrate your schools and institutions. And what's interesting about this is that it goes back many years and many layers. There's different... If you imagine it, uh, like there's different heads to this, right? Um, it has uh, the, sort of the Marxist roots, mm -hmm. right, of infiltration and insurgency that go back to things like the Frankfurt Institute. You know, our kids grow up and we want, we want to buy T-shirts that say Woodstock and we reminisce and, and glorify the old movies. It wasn't that a great time. It was all about love and hippies and you know, free sex and, and LSD and drugs, except that go back, the Frankfurt Institute, a Marxist institute, was responsible for that entire movement in the 60s and for infiltrating with its partner at Columbia University, by the way. And what were they uh, really some of the fathers of? 
something called cultural Marxism. Mm-hmm. Well, what was cultural Marxism? That was a recognition by the Marxists, by like people like Lenin, that the proletariat, i.e. the working man, well, you know, they started Marxism with the proletariat and they got them to go along so far. But then, you know, the working man realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I don't, I'm not buying this anymore because my life is miserable. But your convoys are driving past me in these, you know, in these uh, vehicles. Whereas I, I have to walk everywhere. I can barely feed my children. This collectivism, man, you know, I'm killing myself every day. And they're, they're, we're not all equal. Some animals are more equal than others. So, you know, proletariats over time rebelled, right? People yep. can be cheap for so long. But over time, they say, no, we're not doing that. And, and so what the, uh, the, the ideological leaders of Marxism realized that we, they needed to shift into cultural Marxism. You know, that was another way to find a fissure in society. So whether it was race or whether it was like, like in, in the United States, it was race. In Algeria, it was Islam and religion, right? They found, Lenin sent his emissaries around the world to find fissures in various societies and they exploited those divisions. Well, you see that today because, I mean, BLM had hundreds of billions of dollars donated to them. And yet nowhere in this country can you find a community or a city or a state where people say, wow, look how much better things are. It's extraordinary what BLM did for us. No, black people today, if you like, are no better off than they were uh, before Biden got into office or when Trump was in office or when, you know, Bush and Obama were in office, right? And and BLM was, I mean, they got $100 million from Nike, you know, from just, for, I think, from Nike Jordan. And then, you know, 60 more million uh, from Nike and then 100 million from Bank of America. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. What happened to that money, Alan? It's just like my continent of Africa. The, the number of people raising money to build wells and build schools and bring electricity. And yet I go home and 80% of the population in Congo, former Democratic Republic of Congo, still live on less than a dollar a day. Yeah. But wait, didn't Warren Buffett come in here and make everything better? Didn't Bill Gates come in here and make everything better? All these great organizations, they don't ever seem to make it better for the people. They say they do, but they don't. And that's because these NGOs and these organizations are really part of a system that we've been living under where they get a free pass to launder money and proliferate their ideologies all over the world. These are globalist organizations that are shoving some nonsense about, you know, an existential climate crisis where the world is about to implode at any second. So we need to start getting rid of a lot of people. They're going to be useless anyway. You won't miss them, Alan, because what does Yuvalno Harari say? He says, oh, yeah, most of the continent of Africa, most of India will just be reduced to useless eaters. Their lives will have no worth, no purpose, no meaning. I mean, these are his words. Right? These are not my words. They're his. And anybody can look them up. And this is a man who's the scientific advisor to the World Economic Forum and to who goes shows, does TED Talks and Davos and advises Bill Gates. I mean, if I showed up in, in Davos, I'd be escorted out the door, right? <laughs> They don't want the likes of me there, but you're going to take a psychotic lunatic like that who basically says most of the of the planet will just be reduced to useless eaters and we need to decide what to do with them. 
right now, you know, I'm thinking video games and narcotics. Oh, so render them absolutely useless with narcotics and make them equally useless by drawing them into this video game world. And then open the borders and proliferate that tech, you know, those narcotics, by the way. Make sure they reach our youth. Yeah. Make sure that all of our kids are vaping because, oh, vapes are so much healthier for you than cigarettes, except they're not. But when will we find out? When will they admit to it? And that, you know, there's a lot of uh, evidence that shows that vapes are far more damaging to young kids than cigarettes ever were. But we don't hear about that because we're busy marching like lambs to the slaughter, heading towards our own destruction. Well, I want to tell you that I am so sincerely appreciative of all that you have done and continue to do and for taking your time to be here. You're, you're a real African-American, okay? I'm just an American <laughs> black man, so I want everyone to understand that. Uh, where can people follow you, Laura, out there on all your different platforms and, of course, your show on Fox Nation? So um, I am uh, I am on lauralogan.com. The site's not fully up yet. And I will be on a new co-op that is coming out. We've been working on it for a long, long time. It'll be owned by the content creators, and you'll be invited on because we don't want, you know, Satanism and trafficking and yeah. pornography and subversive ideologies on there. It's uh, you don't have to go on there if you if you want those things. You can find them <laughs> all over the place. Yes. But if you would like to go somewhere where those things are not prevalent, that's what we're creating. And um, I am also on Locals, and I'm on Twitter for now, giving Elon Musk a chance and see where that goes. And I'm on Truth Social. Um, but you'll be seeing, it's taken, it's taken me a while to get uh, up on my feet because I wanted to work with good people whom I respect, like April Moss, like Alison Royale, uh, like Mike Plant, a, a great producer from Fox. You know, all people that have been, uh, that have either spoken up on principle, been attacked for standing up on their principles, but people who know what real journalism is, and they're willing to put in the hard work, and they're willing to fight for it, and we're not going to be intimidated. I know we're going to be attacked relentlessly. There's, a, there's something else we're dealing with every single day, but these are people with moral courage who care about this. Uh, we care about real journalism and understand its value. So keep an eye on this because we're doing a series of reports on January 6th okay. right now. But I'm still working on my most important project, um, which is a, uh, a season on child trafficking and human farming. Well, thank you so much, Lara Logan. And the name of your show, Lara Logan, has no agenda. You do have an agenda, and your agenda is freedom and liberty. And I thank you for that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us for this episode of the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Special thanks for Lara Logan, who is also a fellow Texan, for joining us. And if you like this podcast, please click the like button and also share it with others. Until next time, Steadfast and Loyal. Before they burn it down.